How many of y'all are excited about your job? Uh, tomorrow morning, you get up, make some coffee, and head to work. How many are real excited about it? Woo! Might have a couple. They love their job. That's awesome, right? I like getting up, and yeah, me and Josh, we love it. Especially Val was on vacation last week, so we had to make our own coffee. We don't even ask her to do it. She just does it, and it's awesome, and we were spoiled to death. Uh, but we missed it this last week. We missed more than just the coffee, though, Val. We missed you, too. Glad you got a chance to... She loves it when I talk to her from the stage. She's just so excited. But work, right? We have a love-hate relationship with work. We like to complain about our jobs. But we also get a sense of fulfillment and purpose from our jobs as well. My first job was mowing grass with my dad. He uh, was an x-ray tech, and he just for some reason wanted to mow grass on the side. So he had these four different lawns and us four boys would go and help him push mow lawns. I remember Mrs. Trego's yard was the steepest yard I'd ever mowed. And if it was a little bit wet, you almost certainly were most likely going to slip and be afraid that your feet were going to get cut off. And then also she had a healthy population of yellow jackets and they <laughs> did not like it when you mowed over their lawn or, or their home, you know. My second job was at a, uh, as a busboy at a like, luxury retirement home, and uh, I got to eat lamb with mint jelly. Now, I didn't eat it off their plates. I mean, like, you know, they gave it to us. She had shrimp and lobster and all kinds of stuff uh, as a, a busboy, and that was pretty cool. After I graduated, I leveled up, and I became an assistant service manager at Chuck E. Cheese, right? Making magic here at Chuck E. Cheese, where every game ride is just one token. This is Phil speaking. How may I help you? Remember the dances, the songs, all of it. All classic rock songs, I hear them as Chucky singing them. That's how it, it happens. I worked there for about two years. Sold tires at Sears Automotive in Arkansas while in Bible college. I was a service uh, writer for a mechanic uh, at a Napa Pro Shop in Missouri as I was a bivocational pastor. I pressure washed houses as a side gig. As a youth pastor, work, right? It's a pillar of society and it is good. But sometimes we want to compartmentalize our lives, right? We have Sunday as God time and then we've got the rest of the week as work time. And if we're lucky, we get a little bit of me time. And it's, we like to do that and we segment our lives. But is life really segmented in ways that we need to keep it Separate, like we want to make sure that our mashed potatoes don't touch our carrots, right? Is that how life is? Now, in the church world, you'll hear phrases like full-time ministry. And you have pastors and missionaries and worship leaders. And sometimes we might even be tempted to put these people on a pedestal because they're on God's time all the time, right? Being a Christian is their job. And we can't do that because we have a real job, right? I love it when people that say that to me. Pop them right in the nose. But those are the people, uh, you know, we think of that, that they're a full-time Christian servant all week. But is that the way we should approach life, this segmented way where we got God time, we got work time, we got me time, and we throw Jesus a bone every once in a while, church a couple times a month, give a little bit of money here, read a devotional once a week, and that should keep God happy, right? And we should be fine. We like to draw lines around things that are sacred and things that are secular. We've got the sacred things over here, we've got the secular over here, and they don't really touch each other. 
You can't do that in here. It's sacred. This is a sacred place. But God made it all. And the heavens declare the glory of God. It's all sacred. God made it all. See, Jesus didn't command us to huddle in our little buildings and think about ourselves. He commanded us to go, to go into the world, go into our place of work, go, go into our community. That's why we're not planning to move to a compound somewhere up in Canaan to keep us away from sinners so that we could protect ourselves. No, we're supposed to be like Jesus and run towards the broken and the hurting. And this is why in John 17, Jesus tells us that he did not come to take us out of the world, but that the world through him might be saved. One third of your life will be spent at work. And that's depressing, I know, right? But your job will most likely be your biggest opportunity to influence people for Christ. Now, being a witness at work doesn't mean you blurt out John 3.16 every time someone talks to you. But you might be able uh, to give someone hope. You might not be able to share the whole gospel. But it starts with caring about people. It starts with relationships and then serving people in a way that points people to Christ. Maybe it's offering kindness when someone deserves harshness. Maybe it's going the extra mile when nobody else expects it. Maybe it's not joining in on the gossip and complaining about your boss. Maybe it's listening to someone who had a hard day or praying for a coworker, offering hope when it doesn't make sense, sending soup when someone's sick, but always pointing people to Jesus. Because life is not segmented. There is no sacred and secular. It's all sacred. Work is just another opportunity for us to worship Jesus. We're called to be salt and light in our community. And salt preserves and flavors and light illuminates the darkness. I know you're pressured to hide your faith. But as a follower of Jesus, there is no church me and work me. It's all God's. Now, that doesn't mean we go and lecture people and start fights. It means we walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus and love people like Jesus did, the broken people, the down and out. And you might say, well, I only know Christians, and I get that. But we have to go. We can't stay still. We must start new relationships then so that we can be an influence on the lost and dying world that's around us that need to hear about the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We need to be creative, meet new people, volunteer somewhere new, bring someone cookies down the street, that, someone you've never met. I'm not good at this. I wish I was, and I want to be better at it. Living life on mission. As a pastor, this is a hard thing to do. I'm tempted to wait for people to come to me and say, what must I do to be saved like Nicodemus did? We can't do that. We've got to go, not wait, not just sit back and be ready. Luke 14, 23. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. In that context, it's talking about Jesus coming and inviting all the people of Israel and the Jewish people to come and eat with him. And they deny him and they say they don't want him. And so he says, go get anybody. 
to come and join me. If you've been a Christian for very long, you might have had a a point in your life where you've been more bold with your faith, more ready to speak up and share Christ and point people towards Jesus. But what happened? What's different? Is God less good than he was back then? Or are we just more afraid and more scared? We need to go and invite people in. And a third of your life will be spent at work. This mission field called your job. So be salt and be light. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 tells us that we don't have to all leave our jobs and become missionaries or pastors to serve Jesus. It tells us to lead the life that the Lord has assigned to us and to which God has called us. And if you're a Jesus follower, you are just as much in the ministry as I am or any other person in vocational ministry. We are all called to make much of Christ and to magnify him wherever we are. So pray that God will help you with your job. Ask God to help you be a witness. Give thanks to the things that happen at your job. Landing a a new client, fixing a leak. God is responsible for every good thing. Every good thing is a God thing. Give God the credit for it all. Apply scripture to your work life, right? Thou shalt not lie even if it will land you a sale. Love your enemy even when it's a rival business. Patience, joy, long-suffering, mercy, kindness. Those are still fruits of the Spirit at work. Are you worried about work? Take it to Jesus. He cares. Cast your anxieties upon Him because He cares about you. Need endurance to finish a task? Ask Jesus. He wants to uphold you with His righteous right hand. He wants to guide you which way to go, whether to turn to the right or turn to the left. God wants to help you at work too. See, work is not wasting your life. There is no secular, only sacred. All things are made by him and for him. And work can be worship. See, God created work. Work was not a result of sin. Adam and Eve had a job at the beginning, taking care of the Garden of Eden, and it was good. In the beginning, God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and have a big family and subdue the earth and have dominion over it and the plants and the fish and the beasts of the field. God gave them a job, and it was good. Work is not a curse. Adam and Eve weren't missionaries, but they followed God's command and worked, and it was good. In Genesis 2.2, it tells us God himself worked by creating absolutely everything. And he rested on the seventh day, modeling that we should also have a day of rest and that that's important for you. Even the animals constantly work, digging holes, finding food, building nests, eating the carrots out of your garden. Tori's bitter about it. Hey, parents, here's a good verse for your teenage boys. Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. The CSB, I like a little bit better with that word. It says, O slacker. Go to the ant, you slacker. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief 
officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, the rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber, want like an armed man. Work isn't bad. Work is good. And work can be worship. You can worship God through your job. There's something sweet about laying your head on your pillow after a day of hard work. Knowing that you gave something your all. That is such a gift. I mentioned before my dad retired as an x-ray tech. And he did ultrasounds and all that kind of stuff for 30 years. Uh, and now he works at an Amish fruit stand for a couple days a week. Why? Because work is good. And he still had the desire to want to do something. He makes like one twentieth of what he made before. But he enjoys the work, and there's something in us that has called us to do and to contribute. And idleness is not good for us. You'll often find that boredom makes you bitter. And as you sit around and look at everything around you, you start to get uh, upset when you're idle and you don't have something worth to do. But work gives us a chance to worship. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Anything that we do is an opportunity to give something back to God. Every word, every deed, everything, doing it in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to Him while we do it. Now, work isn't always easy. After the fall, the Bible does say because of sin, we work by the sweat of our brow. But doing hard things isn't always bad either. Doing hard things gives us a chance to challenge ourselves and an opportunity to lean more on Jesus Christ. Work is good. And money is a tool. And we can't worship money, but money gives us another opportunity to worship and serve God by giving away and helping people. And the more God gives us, the more we're able to give away. And the Bible tells us that with we're faithful in the little, he can trust us with a lot. Rick Warren says it this way. He says, work becomes worship when we dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness to his presence. I don't care what you wake up and do tomorrow morning. If you wake up with the attitude that, God, I want to serve every minute of this day for you. I don't care if you work at McDonald's or digging trenches. You can glorify God through what you do by giving it back to him and saying, God, I'm going to do everything I do in your name and giving thanks to you. See, if you look for purpose and fulfillment in your job, you're never going to find it. And the boost of adrenaline that we get from making a big sale or getting a promotion, that will fade away. It will not last. It's just like that budget thing. We think that next promotion is going to make us happy, and it doesn't. See, work is not a waste. And it's not an, a, a, a thing just in and of itself. Work is an opportunity to worship. And it's the place that you're going to work uh, and you're going to live for a third of your life. It's your mission field. And we're commanded to go. 
We must understand that work is more than just a paycheck. It's an opportunity to show the love of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're uh, listening today and you're saying, look, I worked for 40 years and I'm retired. Hey, you got to find something to do. You got to find a place to fit in. Now, maybe that means, you know, watching your grandkids for a couple days a week. That's awesome. That's, don't tell me that's not work. But we've got to find things to do and set our mind to it and give it uh, all the glory for it to God. Because work is more than just a paycheck. It's an opportunity to show the love of Jesus Christ. Like we mentioned, too often we find ourselves finding our identities in our jobs. Paula Ferris says, your work is not your worth. Your value is not your vocation. And your calling is not your career. We are called to so much more. We are called to give everything that we do back to God and living in an attitude of thankfulness. And if you are living today and your identity is all wrapped up in your job, what happens when you get fired or laid off or retire? All of a sudden, if that's where your identity was, do you lose your worth and your value? You've got to change that. You've got to rewire your heart and stop listening to those lies. Our identity is in Christ and our worth is in our Savior. And we have value because of what was paid for us, the life of Jesus Christ. And our purpose should not just be to climb a corporate ladder, but instead to point people to Jesus. See, God has sprinkled each and every one of us here in this room and listening online. He has sprinkled us in our community, at our jobs, at UHC. That is a mission field. And God has put you there for a reason. Nutter Fort Elementary, God has put you there. The law office, the restaurant, the FBI, wherever you are at, you are there as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And you are a missionary on mission to point people to Jesus. He has sent us to go, to go and compel people to come to him. No, not just start arguments and lectures, but being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Helping people to see that they aren't alone. As we look around and watch the news, the world is falling apart. And you cannot tell me that people aren't scared. And we have hope in something that is bigger than all that. And yet we keep our mouths quiet. God has sent us. You are sent into this community to be a light for Jesus Christ. To tell people that Jesus loves them and that there is hope. Help them see their need for a Savior. Let them know that they are made to live in community See, nine to five is not a waste. Work can be worship. So how does that change your outlook when your alarm rings tomorrow morning? What attitude do you need to change to be a better witness? What habit do you need to break to be more like Jesus? Who do you need to apologize to so that you can heal a relationship that was hurting your testimony so that you could start to look more like Jesus Christ. You are all in full-time ministry. It's all sacred. You're a missionary to your job, to your family, to your neighborhood. 
to whatever club or organization you are a part of. And your work is not a waste. It can be worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you might stir up a fire in us to be a bright light at our places of work, in our families, in our communities, in our friend groups. God, this world needs you more than it ever has before. And they don't need another angry Christian. They need someone that will show them a love and a mercy that transcends human experience. Something miraculous that they don't see anywhere else. A kind of forgiveness that isn't natural. A patience and a long-suffering and a joy that doesn't make sense in the face of trouble and trials. God, I pray in just a few minutes as we exit these doors, you will help us see the mission field that you have sent us to. And yes, we don't have to learn a language. God, we don't have to study for four years at a seminary. God, you've planted us. We've got everything we need. God, help us to see that the, white, uh, the, the harvest is white out there. And it's ready. And people are probably more ready than they've ever been in our lifetime. To listen to the gospel. God, put our people in our sphere of influence so heavy on our heart. God, help us to feel for people that around us that might be lost. God, I pray you might encourage us to be the witness and to see our lives as you see it, as full-time ministers of the gospel. Lord, we love you.